Section 9 of The Morals, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anna Simon. The Morals, Volume 2, by Plutarch. Translated by several hands. Corrected and revised by William W. Goodwin. How to know a flatterer from a friend. To Antiochus Philopapus. Plato is of opinion that it is very pardonable in a man to acknowledge that he has any extraordinary passion for himself, and yet the humour is attended with this ill consequent, besides several others, that it renders us incapable of making a right judgment of ourselves. For our affections usually blind our discerning faculties, unless we have learned to raise them above the sordid level of things congenial and familiar to us, to those which are truly noble and excellent in themselves. And hence it is that we are so frequently exposed to the attempts of a parasite, under the disguise and visard of a friend. For self-love, that grand flatterer within, willingly entertains another from without, who will but soothe up and second the man in the good opinions he has conceived of himself. For he who deservedly lies under the character of one that loves to be flattered, is doubtless sufficiently fond of himself, and through abundance of complacence to his own person, not only wishes, but thinks himself master of all those perfections which may recommend him to others. And though indeed it be laudable enough to covet such accomplishments, yet is it altogether unsafe for any man to fancy them inherent in him. Now, if truth be a ray of the divinity, as Plato says it is, and the source of all the good that derives upon either gods or men, then certainly the flatterer must be looked upon as a public enemy to all the gods, and especially to Apollo. For he always acts counter to that celebrated oracle of his, Know thyself, endeavouring to make every man his own cheat, by keeping him ignorant of the good and ill qualities that are in him, whereupon the good never arrive at perfection, and the ill grow incorrigible. Did flattery indeed, as most other misfortunes do, generally or altogether wait on the debauched and ignoble part of mankind, the mischief were of less consequence, and might admit of an easier prevention. But, as worms breed most in sweet and tender woods, so usually the most obliging, the most brave and generous tempers, readiliest receive and longest entertain the flattering insect that hangs and grows upon them. And since, to use Simonides' expression, it is not for persons of a narrow fortune, but for gentlemen of estates, to keep a good stable of horses, so never saw we flattery the attendant of the poor, the inglorious and inconsiderable plebeian, but of the grandees of the world, the distemper and bane of great families and affairs, the plague in kings' chambers, and the ruin of their kingdoms. Therefore it is a business of no small importance, and one which requires no ordinary circumspection, so to be able to know a flatterer in every shape he assumes, that the counterfeit resemblance, some time or other, bring not true friendship itself into suspicion and disrepute. For parasites, like lice, which desert a dying man whose pole and vapid blood can feed them no longer, never intermix in dry and insipid business where there is nothing to be got, but prey upon a noble quarry, the ministers of state and potentates of the earth, and afterwards 
lousily shirk off if the greatness of their fortune chance to leave them but it will not be wisdom in us to stay till such fatal junctures and then try the experiment which will not only be useless but dangerous and hurtful for it is a deplorable thing for a man to find himself then destitute of friends when he most wants them and has no opportunity either of exchanging his false and faithless friend for a fast and honest one and therefore we should rather try our friend as we do our money whether or not he be passable and current before we need him for it is not enough to discover the cheat to our cost but we must so understand the flatterer that he put no cheat upon us otherwise we should act like those who must needs take poison to know its strength and foolishly hazard their lives to inform their judgment and as we cannot approve of this carelessness so neither can we of that too scrupulous humour of those who taking the measures of true friendship only from the bare honesty and usefulness of the man immediately suspect a pleasant and easy conversation for a cheat for a friend is not a dull tasteless thing nor does the decorum of friendship consist in sourness and austerity of temper but its very port and gravity is soft and amiable where love and all the graces do reside for it is not only a comfort to the afflicted to enjoy the courtesy of his kindest friend as euripides speaks but friendship extends itself to both fortunes as well brightens and adorns prosperity as allays the sorrows that attend adversity and as evanus used to say that fire makes the best sauce so friendship wherewith god has seasoned the circumstances of our mortality gives a relish to every condition renders them all easy sweet and agreeable enough and indeed did not the laws of friendship admit of a little pleasantry and good humour why should the parasite insinuate himself under that disguise and yet he as counterfeit gold imitates the brightness and lustre of the true always puts on the easiness and freedom of a friend is always pleasant and obliging and ready to comply with the humour of his company and therefore it is no way reasonable either to look upon every just character that is given us as a piece of flattery for certainly a due and seasonable commendation is as much the duty of one friend to another as a pertinent and serious reprehension nay indeed a sour querulous temper is perfectly repugnant to the laws of friendship and conversation whereas a man takes a chiding patiently from a friend who is as ready to praise his virtues as to animadvert upon his vices willingly persuading himself that mere necessity obliged him to reprimand whom kindness at first moved to commend why then some may say it is infinitely difficult at this rate to distinguish a flatterer from a friend since there is no apparent difference either betwixt the satisfaction they create or the praises they bestow nay it is observable that a parasite is frequently more obsequious and obliging than a friend himself well the way then to discover the disparity why i will tell you if you would learn the character of a true subtle flatterer who nicks his point secundum artem you must not with the vulgar mistake those sordid smell feasts and poor trencher slaves for your men who begin to prate as soon as they have washed their hands in order to dinner as one says of them and ere they are well warmed with a good cut of the first dish and a glass of wine betray the narrow soul that acts them by the nauseous and fulsome buffoonery they vent at table for sure it needed no great sagacity to detect the flattery of melanthius the parasite of alexander of pharae 
who, being asked how his master was murdered, made answer, with a thrust which went in at his side but into my belly. Nor must we again confine our notions of flatterers to those sharping fellows who ply about rich men's tables, whom neither fire nor sword nor porter can keep from supper, nor yet to such as were those female parasites of Cyprus, who going into Syria were nicknamed Steps, because they cringed so to the great ladies of that country that they mounted their chariots on their backs. Well, but after all, who is this flatterer then, whom we ought so industriously to avoid? I answer, he who neither professes nor seems to flatter, who never haunts your kitchen, is never observed to watch the dial that he may nick your supper-time, who won't drink to excess, but will keep his brains about him, who is prying and inquisitive, would mix in your business, and wind himself into your secrets. In short, he who acts the friend, not with the air of a comedian or a satirist, but with the port and gravity of a tragedian. For, as Plato says, it is the height of injustice to appear just and be really a knave. So are we to look upon those flatterers as most dangerous, who walk not barefaced but in disguise, who make no sport but mind their business, for these often personate the true and sincere friend so exactly that it is enough to make him fall under the like suspicion of a cheat, unless we be extremely curious in remarking the difference betwixt them. It is storied of Gobrias, one of the Persian nobility, who joined with Darius against the Magi, that he pursued one of them into a dark room, and there fell upon him. During the scuffle Darius came in and drew upon the enemy, but durst not push at him, lest perhaps he might wound his confederate Gobrias with the thrust, whereupon Gobrias bade him, rather than fail, run both through together. But since we can by no means admit of that vulgar saying, let my friend perish, so my enemy perish with him, but had rather still endeavour at the discovery of a parasite from a friend, notwithstanding the nearness of the resemblance, we ought to use our utmost care, lest at any time we indifferently reject the good with the bad, or unadvisedly retain the bad with the good, the friend and flatterer together. For as those wild grains which usually grow up with wheat, and are of the same figure and bigness with it, are not easily winnowed from it, for they either cannot pass through the holes of the sieve if narrow, or pass together with the wheat if larger, so is it infinitely difficult to distinguish flattery from friendship, because the one so exquisitely mixes with all the passions, humours, interests, and inclinations of the other. Now, because the enjoyment of a friend is attended with the greatest satisfaction incident to humanity, therefore the flatterer always endeavours to entrap us by rendering his conversation highly pleasant and agreeable. Again, because all acts of kindness and mutual beneficence are the constant attendants upon true friendship, on which account we usually say, a friend is more necessary than fire or water, therefore the flatterer is ready upon every occasion to obtrude his service upon you, and will with an indefatigable bustle and zeal seek to oblige you if he can. In the next place, the parasite observes that all true friendship takes its origin from a concurrence of like humours and inclinations, and that the same passions, the same aversions and desires, are the first cement of a true and lasting friendship. He therefore composes his nature like unformed matter, striving to fit and adapt it by imitation to the person on whom he designs, 
that it may be pliant and yielding to any impression that he shall think fit to stamp upon it and in fine he so neatly resembles the original that one would swear sure thou the very achilles art and not his son but the most exquisite fineness of a fetterer consists in his imitation of that freedom of discourse which friends particularly use in mutually reprehending each other for finding that men usually take it for what it really is the natural language of friendship as peculiar to it as certain notes or voices are to certain animals and that on the contrary a shy sheepish reservedness looks both rude and unfriendly he lets not even this proper character of a friend escape his imitation but as skilful cooks use to correct luscious meats with sharp and poignant sauce that they may not be so apt to overcharge the stomach so he seasons his flattery now and then with a little smartness and severity lest the fulsomeness of repeated dissimulation should pall and cloy the company and yet his reprehensions always carry something in them that looks not true and genuine he seems to do it but with a kind of a sneering and grinning countenance at the best and though his reproofs may possibly tickle the ear yet they never strike effectually upon the heart on these accounts then it is as difficult to discern a flatterer from a friend as to know those animals again which always wear the livery of the last thing they touch upon and therefore since he puts so easily upon us under the disguise and appearance of a friend it will be our business at present to unmask the hypocrite and show him in other men's shapes and colours as plato speaks since he has none properly his own well then let us inquire regularly into this affair we have already asserted that friendship generally takes its rise from a conformity of tempers and dispositions whereby different persons come to have the same taste of the like humours customs studies exercises and employs as these following verses import old men with old and boys with boys agree and women's clack with women's company men that are crazy full of sores and pain love to deceased persons to complain and they who labour under adverse fate tell their sad stories to the unfortunate the flatterer then observing how congenial it is to our natures to delight in the conversation of those who are as it were the counterpart of ourselves makes his first approaches to our affections at this avenue where he gradually advances like one making towards a wild beast in a pasture with a design to tame and bring it to hand by accommodating himself to the same studies business and colour of life with the person upon whom he designs till at last the latter gives him an opportunity to catch him and becomes tractable by the man who strokes him all this while the flatterer falls foul upon those courses of life persons and things he perceives his cully to disprove and again as extravagantly commends those he is pleased to honour with his approbation still persuading him that his choice and dislike are the results of a solid and discerning judgment and not of passion well then by what signs or tokens shall we be able to know this counterfeit copy of ourselves from a true and genuine likeness in the first place we must accurately remark upon the whole tenor of his life and conversation whether or not the resemblance he pretends to the original be of any continuance natural and easy and all of a piece whether he squares actions according to any one steady and uniform model as becomes an ingenious lover of conversation and friendship which is all of one thread and still like itself for this is a true friend indeed but the flatterer who has no principles in him and leads not a life properly his own but forms and moulds it 
according to the various humours and caprices of those he designs to bubble, is never one and the same man, but a mere dapple or trimmer, who changes shapes with his company, like water that always turns and winds itself into the figure of the channel through which it flows. Apes, it seems, are usually caught by their antic mimicry of the motions and gesticulations of men, and yet the men themselves are trepanned by the same craft of imitation in a flatterer, who adapts himself to their several humours, fencing and wrestling with one, singing and dancing with another. If he is in chase of a spark that delights in a pack of dogs, he follows him at the heels, hollowing almost like Phytra. Oh, what a pleasure it is, you gods, to wind the shrill-mouthed horn and chase the dappled hind! And yet the hunter himself is the game he designs for the toils. If he be in pursuit of some bookish young gentleman, then he is always a-pouring, he nourishes his reverend beard down to his heels, wears a tattered cloak, affects the careless indifference of a philosopher, and can now discourse of nothing under Plato's triangles and rectangles. If he chance to fall into the acquaintance of a drunken idle debauchee, who has got an estate, then sly Ulysses throws away his rags, puts off his long robe, mows down his fruitless crop of beard, drinks briskly, laughs modishly on the walks, and drills handsomely upon the philosophical fops of the town. And thus, they say, it happened at Syracuse, for when Plato first arrived there and Dionysius was wonderfully hot upon the study of philosophy, all the areas in the king's palace were full of nothing but dust and sand, by reason of the great concourse of geometricians who came to draw their figures and demonstrate there. But no sooner was Plato in disgrace at court, and Dionysius finally fallen from philosophy, to wine and women, and trifles in intemperance, then learning fell into a general disrepute, and the whole body of the people, as if bewitched by some certsy or other, became universally stupid, idle, and infatuated. Besides this, I appeal to the practices of men notorious for flattery and popularity to back my observation. Witness he who topped them all, Alcibiades, who, when he dwelt at Athens, was as arch and witty as any Athenian of them all, kept his stable of horses, played the good fellow, and was universally obliging, and yet the same man at Sparta shaved close to the skin, wore his cloak, and never bathed but in cold water. When he sojourned in Thrace, he drank and fought like a Thracian, and again, in Tissaphernes's company in Asia, he acted the part of a soft, arrogant, and voluptuous Asiatic, and thus, by an easy compliance with the humours and customs of the people amongst whom he conversed, he made himself master of their affections and interests. So did not the brave Epaminondas, nor Agesilaus, who, though they had to do with great variety of men and manners, and cities of vastly different politics, were still the same men, and everywhere, through the whole circle of their conversation, maintained the port and character worthy of themselves. And so was Plato the same man at Syracuse that he was in the academy, the same in Dionysius's court that he was in Dion's. But he who will take the pains to act the dissembler himself, by interchangeably decrying and extolling the same things, discourses, and ways of living, will easily perceive the opinions of a flatterer are as mutable and inconstant as the colours of a polypus, that he is never consonant to himself, nor properly his own man, that all his passions, his love and hatred, his joy and sorrow, are borrowed and counterfeit, and that, in a word, like a mirror, he only receives and represents the several faces or images of other men's affections and humours. 
do but discommend one of your acquaintance a little in his company, and he will tell you it is a wonder you never found him out all this while, for his part he never fancied him in his life. Change but your style and commend him, he presently swears you oblige him in it, gives you a thousand thanks for the gentleman's sake, and believes your character of him to be just. Tell him you have thoughts of altering your course of life, as, for instance, to retire from all public employs to privacy and ease. He immediately wishes that he had retreated long ago from the hurry and drudgery of business and the odium that attends it. Seem but again inclinable to an active life. Why now, says he, you speak like yourself. Leisure and ease are sweet, it is true, but withal mean and inglorious. When you have thus trepanned him, it would be proper to cashier him with some such reply as this. How now, my friend, what, quite another man? I abhor a fellow who servilely complies with whatsoever I propose, and keeps pace with me in all my motions. My shadow can do better than yourself. But my friend must deal plainly and impartially, and assist me faithfully with his judgment." and thus you see one way of discerning a flatterer from a friend. Another difference observable betwixt them in the resemblance they bear to each other is, that a true friend will not rashly commend nor imitate everything, but only what really deserves it, for, as Sophocles says, he shares with him his loves, but not his hates, and will scorn to bear any part with him in any base and dishonourable actions, unless as people sometimes catch blear eyes, he may chance insensibly to contract some ill habit or other by the very contagion of familiarity and conversation. Thus they say Plato's acquaintance learned his stoop, Aristotle's his lisp, and Alexander's the inclination of his neck and the rapidity of his speech. For some persons, ere they are aware, get a touch of the humours and infirmities of those with whom they converse. But now, as a true friend endeavours only to copy the fairest originals, so, on the contrary, the flatterer, like the chameleon, which puts on all colours but the innocent white, being unable to reach those strokes of virtue which are worth his imitation, takes care that no failure or imperfection escape him. As unskilful painters, when they cannot hit the features and air of a face, content themselves with a faint resemblance in a wrinkle, a wart, or a scar, so he takes up with his friend's intemperance, superstition, cholericness, severity to his servants, distrust of his relations and domestics, or the like. For, besides that a natural propensity to evil inclines him always to follow the worst examples, he imagines his assuming other men's vices will best secure him from the suspicion of being disaffected towards them, for their fidelity is often suspected, who seem dissatisfied with faults and wish a reformation which very thing lost Dion in the good opinion of Dionysius, Samius in Philips, Cleomenes in Ptolemies, and at last proved the occasion of their ruin. And therefore the flatterer pretends not only to the good humour of a companion, but to the faithfulness of a friend too, and would be thought to have so great a respect for you that he cannot be disgusted at the very worst of your actions, being indeed of the same make and constitution with yourself." Hence you shall have him pretend a share in the most common casualties that befall another, nay, in complacence, feign even diseases themselves. In company of those who are thick of hearing, he is presently half-deaf, and with the dim-sighted can see no more than they do. So the parasites about Dionysius at an entertainment, to humour his blindness, 
stumbled one upon another and jostled the dishes of his table. But there are others who refine upon the former by a pretended fellow-suffering in the more private concernments of life, whereby they wriggle themselves deeper into the affections of those they flatter. As, if they find a man unhappily married or distrustful of his children or domestics, they spare not their own family, but immediately entertain you with some lamentable story of the hard fortune they have met with in their children, their wife, their servants or relations. For, by the parallel circumstances they pretend to, they seem more passionately concerned for the misfortunes of their friends, who, as if they had already received some pawn and assurance of their fidelity, blab forth those secrets which they cannot afterwards handsomely retract, and dare not betray the least distrust of their new confidant for the future. I myself knew a man who turned his wife out of doors because a gentleman of his acquaintance divorced his, though the latter lady smelled the intrigue afterwards by the messages the flatterer sent to his wife after the pretended divorce and the private visits he was observed to make her. So little did he understand the flatterer who took these following verses for the description of a crab rather than his. The shapeless things all over paunch and gut, who can the monster's mighty hunger glut? It crawls on teeth and with a watchful eye does into every secret corner pry. For this is the true portraiture of those sharpers who, as Opalus speaks, sponge upon their acquaintance for a dinner. End of section 9